Today's message is titled, A Heart for the Homeless, The Big Give, A Heart for the Homeless. What I'd like to do is to read the Christmas story, and I'd like for you to hear the Christmas story this morning with a filter, a lens of Mary and Joseph's homelessness. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Turn to Luke chapter 2. If you've got the North Point app, you can open it up as well and follow along. But I want you to just hear the Christmas story with kind of fresh ears this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Sounds funny, that last phrase, doesn't it? Because we're used to hearing, because there was no room for them in the inn. The the translation that, that New International does is actually a much more accurate reading of what Luke wrote. There was no room for them, no guest room available for them. Contrary to the, what we what we think of in, in children's Christmas pageants and what we see in shows. Um, Mary and Joseph, when they came to Bethlehem, didn't go looking for the Holiday Inn, all right? That, that wasn't the deal for two reasons. One, Bethlehem was this little tiny podunk town six miles outside of Jerusalem. It was a, it was a small place. And because Joseph, was, Joseph and Mary were going to Joseph's hometown, to, to the place where his roots were, he would have had lots of relatives who lived there. It, it's kind of like Powamo, Westphalia, or uh, Fowler, where you know there's a Feldposh and a Kennexnecht on every corner. Uh, that, that, that's that's really that's really what it was for Joseph. When Joseph came to town, it's not that he and Mary were all of a sudden looking for um, Motel Six, where they left the light on for him. They, they would have gone to one of their ex- members of their extended family, to a cousin's house or an aunt's or an uncle's, to their grandparents. Um, they would have settled there and stayed there. And it's interesting because we have this picture in our mind of Joseph and Mary walking, you know, Mary on the donkey, and they just pull into Bethlehem and Mary's in labor. And that's not what the text says either. It says while they were there, they're in Bethlehem hanging out there because they're homeless. They've traveled about 80 miles, somewhere between five and 10 days to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And Mary has this baby in this unconventional place. It says there was no guest room available for them. What that probably meant was there were so many people that had come to town that Mary either had the baby in the, in the family room, in the living room where the family lived, or in a lower level room where the animals were, where there was a manger hewn into the rock of, of, of that area. It's not quite the picture that we have, but it's not the picture that we typically think of when we think of Mary and Joseph at that point, homeless, away from all of their security, all of their familiarity. 
Yeah, uh, go ahead and jump over to Matthew 2. And Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1, tells the story that kind of expands and extends this sense of homelessness of Mary and Joseph. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the, the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Herod then goes into dialogue with these magi, with these wise men, with these astrologers who were used to looking in the sky, and says, hey, I want to come, come worship this new king as well. What the text doesn't really tell us apart from history is what a crazy guy Herod was. Herod killed his family members because he perceived that they were a threat to his crown. Herod was one nasty guy. So in the next verse when it says, Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, what that describes is the whole city was freaking out because Herod was going to start killing people because these wise men had come saying there's a new king that's born. They go on and have some dialogue. The, the, uh, Herod asks when the, when the child was born and they describe when the star first appeared. He says, where's this child going to be born? And they say, well, the, the texts say in Bethlehem of Judea. And Herod then says to the wise men, when you find him, come and tell me where he is so that I too can come and worship him. If you jump down to uh, verse 9, it says this, After they heard the king, the wise men went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel, to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. When you read Matthew 2, and you think about the homelessness of Mary and Joseph, all of a sudden the, the story has a completely different kind of color and flavor to it. Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem. The star rises. The wise men come from the east. They follow the star. Um, they visit Herod. Herod talks to him and says, when did the star begin to shine? Two years earlier. It appears from the text, Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem, homeless, for two years in Bethlehem. Uh, it's a... It's a crazy thing to think about that they're there that long and when the wise men leave and go by a different route and Herod discovers that, that he has been tricked by them and executes all of, those, all of those baby boys probably somewhere in the vicinity of 20 or 30 
children Herod, Herod has killed. Joseph and Mary are on their way to Egypt. A journey, they had already gone 80 miles from home, and the journey from Bethlehem down to Egypt is probably somewhere over 400 miles on foot or donkey with a two-year-old. How's that for fun? Think, think about what that was like. So for somewhere between probably six weeks or two months minimum, they traveled every night in a different place to get to Egypt in order to protect the life of their son. At some point in time in Egypt, Herod dies, and, uh, and, and an angel appears to Mary and Joseph and tells them it's okay to come back to Israel. We don't know how long they were in Egypt. And if you read scholars, they, they give all kinds of figures. Some believe that it was a relatively short period of time. They got to Egypt, were there for a short period of time. Herod dies, the angel appears, and they return back their two- or three-month journey. In that case, Mary and Joseph's homelessness is probably a period of about three years before they return to Nazareth to start their family. Other scholars believe that it was a much longer time because of the dating of historians and what they say. They think that they could have been in Egypt as many as five years and that Mary and Joseph could have been homeless for somewhere in the, in the eight-year range, six to eight years, something like that. Mary and Joseph's life, was it had to be incredibly unstable at that point in time. As they're removed from all of their security, all of their familiarity, all of their uh, the things that they knew and loved. It's crazy, it's crazy for us to really try and envision Mary and Joseph. We have this Christmas card kind of scene that's beautiful, right? And we don't think... How did they feel as they traveled for those months or years away from all of their security? Because everybody needs a home, right? We all want a home. We want some place to call our own. A man's home is his castle, right? It doesn't matter if you live in an apartment, if you live in a condo, if you live in a townhouse, if you live in a single family, if you live in a motor home. We have this sense of, this is my home. This is where I belong. This is where I know where everything is. This is the place where all my stuff is. Everybody needs a home. I don't know if you know this, but homelessness is an issue in Michigan. Uh, there, there's a study that's done each year that we actually have a chance to have 10 or 15 people from North Point participate in in January. Um, if you're interested in that, talk to Amy. But there's a study that's done each year where they, where they count on a given uh, time period, a given night, how many homeless people there are. Last year, 2016, in Michigan, over 65,000 people homeless during some period of time during 2016. 65,000, that's an incredibly large number. Two-thirds of those people have, uh, the, the, from the study, they say, have some kind of mental illness. 29% um, have some substance ab abuse issue. A third have some kind of physical uh, disability that contributes to their homelessness. 43% of that 65,000 are families with children. 
And of the children who are homeless, 75% of those children are under age 11. That's crazy. Understand that this is a homelessness is a personal issue for God, not just because of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, but because God in his character has compassion for people. God has this deep love and concern for each of us, regardless of where we live. God cares about everyone who doesn't have a home. He's passionate about them. Listen to these scriptures from the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 25. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. God's law for the Israelites. Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, the, the whole chapter is about uh, a, a year of uh, jubilee. It's uh, every seven years, everyone who owed money, that debt was forgiven. There was this sense of celebration that happened every seven years. Down in verse 7 of uh, Deuteronomy 15, it says this, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Down one verse to verse 10. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless, all, bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but those words from Leviticus pierce me because it's easy for me to turn a blind eye to people who are homeless. It's easy for me to say, you know what, if they could find a job if they really wanted one. It's easy for me to say it, it's their own fault that they're in those circumstances. And God's word says to us, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Don't, don't give, or, or give, but without a grudging heart. In Isaiah chapter 58, it says, um, you fast in order to be able to share with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. God says, you know what, when you're coming before me and you're fasting, I want to do this work in your heart so that you take care of the needs of people who are hurting. God cares about people who are homeless. He cares about people who struggle, and he wants to use us to make a difference. Uh, you know, uh, when we think about our homes, it's, it's easy to say, you know, that's the place that's mine. I know where everything is. I worked hard to get it. I've got this place. I've got this stuff. It's mine. And I just want to remind you this morning that our homes are not our homes. We all live in temporary housing, you realize. When we bought our first home, I thought this is where we're going to live the rest of our life. I think that was six homes ago, right? Our homes are not our homes. 
We all live in temporary housing. Listen to the words of the, writers, of the writer of Hebrews. This world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. First Peter chapter 2. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Because our homes are not our homes, and God cares about people who are homeless, this Christmas, we can do something about the physical and spiritual homelessness that exists around us. Can you imagine if, uh, if you were to go home this afternoon and, and a brother or a sister or your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad, somebody calls and says, man, I got horrible news. My house burnt down last night. I got no place to go. What would you do? You wouldn't say, man, it stinks to be you. You know, that's terrible. What would we do? We'd say, come to our house. We'll figure out a way to make it work. We can put the kids in this room. We can create some space. We'll clear out the, the base. We'll come live with us. Because of our love for the people in our lives, we would do whatever it took to help them in their homelessness. We can make a difference. Maybe not with every person who's homeless, maybe not with 65,000 people, but we can make a difference with one or two how can you help? How, what can you do? What can you do? Um, there are some organizations in Lansing that, w- that we partner with, that we know, p- know people there, uh, that we have people from North Point in, um, actively involved in serving in, that I just want to uh, highlight for you. If you have the app open, you'll see that there are websites there where you can connect and, and volunteer. Habitat for Humanity is, a, is an incredible organization that... that um, helps families one at a time move from homelessness into permanent housing. Um, uh, I know Elle Quinn, the director of the Clinton County, uh, Gratiot County uh, Habitat. She's become a friend. And, and, um, and let me just tell you, they are a great organization, and, and it's a great place to connect and serve. Um, when, when Elle Quinn asked me uh, months ago to do the uh, Dancing with the Stars thing that I shared with you about, um, Deb said when we were talking about it afterwards, she said, you know, in all the time that we've been married, uh, um, I think that's the most humbling thing that you've ever done because it was so out of my comfort zone. Actually, she didn't really use the word humbling. The word that she used was humiliating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? I said, I can't, I can't do everything. But that's something I can do. And I can help make a difference with Habitat to raise some money to help a family get into a home. Habitat's a great place to be involved. The Lansing City Rescue Mission is a, is a tremendous mission that many of you know about. Um, Bob Weller, back in the back in the red shirt back there, is a program and services coordinator there. If you want to get connected there, talk to Bob after the service or in, in a coming week. Uh, again, there's a, there's a connection thing in the, in the app so that you can do that. Um, they provide housing for men and women. Lots of resources. Uh, it's a great place to be able to serve. Uh, Volunteers of America, Haven House, Loaves and Fishes. There, there are a number of organizations that, that are here in Lansing 
that look at their stuff and see if God doesn't nudge you to take some action. Um, you know, it may be that you partner with an organization that's already there. It's, it may be God births in you a dream or a vision that says, you know what, I can't do stuff that, to take care of everybody, but here is something that I can do. Chuck Ems, who's, uh, who's here today, is a guy who, in the military, that, that uh, heard about a whole bunch of veterans who were homeless, who were all together, just kind of hanging out, and he said, you know what, I can help these guys transition from where they are back into society, getting them jobs, giving them a place to live, not just giving them a handout, but helping them step out. Uh, it, the organization that, that Chuck and a friend helped establish is called Zero Day. Um, what is it that God might call you to do to take action to help with homeless? Um, you know, the, for all of us, the, the most basic thing, the thing that we're called to do is to pray. When you see people who are homeless, when God brings them to your mind, start to pray. God, how can you use me to help take care of them? How can God, God take care of their needs, provide for them, protect them? Um, give socks, shoes, blankets, gloves, hats to be able to take care of that physical need that exists, especially at winter. Next Sunday, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. We've got services at at 10 in the morning and then at 3 and 4.30. All three services are the same. We hope that you'll be at one of those, that you'll bring family and friends and come be a part of that. We're going to take them an offering at all three services. They're all going to be identical. And all of that offering is, is going to be given away. A third of it, as, as I've mentioned, is going to go to the Greater Lansing Food Bank for distribution in pantries here in our area. A third of it is going to go to Water for to, to help um, equip people to have clean water in parts of the world where they don't have it. And a third of our offering is going to go to Habitat for Humanity to help with homelessness here in our area. Uh, our offering is usually somewhere between fifteen dollars and $20,000. It would be incredible to be able to give $5,000 to each of those organizations next week. It would be even more incredible to be able to give $10,000 to them. I, I know at this time of year, everybody gets lots of requests to help with lots of stuff. I just want to let you know, in the offering that we do next week, it's all being given away so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. Uh, physical homelessness is very tangible. It's easy to recognize when someone is sleeping on the street. On a grill. It's easy to recognize when you drive by the shelters and see the, the scores of people waiting to get in and say, physical homelessness is, is easy to identify, but I just, I want to help make sure that you know that there's a spiritual homelessness that exists as well. For a lot of people at Christmas time, there is this sense that, yeah, you're going through all the motion. But there's just this sense of feeling unsettled, that you're missing something. That's that spiritual homelessness. Maybe God is calling you to make a difference in somebody's life who is trying to find their way home to God this Christmas. Maybe you're here this morning, and that describes you. If so, when the service is done, man, I would love to talk to you. Find somebody at one of the kiosks, a life group leader. Uh, you know, don't, 
Don't leave looking for home and not finding it. You know, uh, I just want to encourage you to not miss that opportunity to help people who are spiritually homeless. I, you may say, I, man, I, don't, I don't know all the stuff. I don't know what to say. Let me just give you two questions that if you're talking to somebody at work and you have a sense, and you have a sense that God's doing something in them and they're far from God and they want to get close to God, two questions that, that I just I kind of came up with because these are the questions that I would use. I, I would just simply say to somebody, do you ever think that Christmas has to be about more than decorations and music and parties and presents and all that stuff? Why do you think that is? And just let them answer. Why is that there that sense of longing that Christmas has to be about more than that? That's one question. The second question is I, that I just ask, why is it that people feel so compelled to do something significant at Christmas time? What is it about Christmas that makes me say, I want to do something significant? And then see where that conversation goes. Understand that you have the ability, each of us have the ability to change the life of a person right now. Somebody who's homeless right now. Somebody who's far from God right now. But we also have the ability to be be used by God to change things generationally for that person. Not just their life right in this instant, but the people that their lives touch. When I did the fundraiser for Habitat, at my table there was this guy seated named Ben Frederick, and, uh, and I found out that he was going to be the keynote speaker uh, for that night's fundraiser for, for Habitat. Um, he is a, a part of the Michigan State Representatives, uh, the House of Representatives for the state of Michigan um, from Owasso. And uh, when Ben got up to, to uh, tell his story, he talked about the family that he grew up in. He grew up in and out of homelessness. Their family was evicted multiple times. Yeah, he didn't say evicted, but he, what he described was, I had a box that I kept close to my bed that had all of my stuff, all my treasures. And I knew that I had to have that box close because I never knew when I was going to come home from school and mom and dad were going to say, we're moving. Um, he said, in that box, the, the, there were the things that, from when I was little, the things that I had to have right there. That was, that was my stuff. And we moved multiple times on a moment's notice. He then told the story, which was incredibly cool, of their family being accepted by Habitat. And then beginning to do the work, the sweat equity on the house that would become their home. And how that how, having that house changed the path of their particular family. Um, he told a story, it was incredibly compelling, but when it was all done and I talked to him after, after the whole thing was done, we were just kind of standing on the side and talking. And I, and I thanked him for sharing his story. He said, you know, the, the best part of the story is that my children don't have a box in their closet. My kids have lived in one house their entire life. Ben Frederick's life was changed because some people came alongside this family who was struggling with homelessness. But it didn't just change them, it changed Ben's family and his kids and their kids. Whether we're talking about helping people with homelessness in the moment 
their physical homelessness or their spiritual homelessness. God can use us to change their circumstances now, but also their eternal destiny. We've got to respond. You know, Jesus, Jesus began his life on earth homeless, going from place to place, very unstable environment. And Jesus finished his life, his three years of ministry were homeless as well. Religious leaders came to Jesus and said, we want to follow you. And you know what Jesus responded? He said in Matthew chapter 8, foxes have dens, birds have their nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? It means that you're not going to experience home here on earth. But he also had great news. God has a heart for the homeless. And he has a solution. Jesus said in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Man, if you're spiritually homeless today, Jesus says, I got just the place for you, for eternity. God has a heart for the homeless. May he build in us, create in us that same heart, that same compassion this Christmas. Let's pray. God, it, it, it does... It just does seem funny to talk about homelessness at Christmas time in the context of our worship and our challenge. And yet, we are so grateful, God, that we can, that your heart is what it is. God, your concern, your passion for Mary and Joseph and Jesus as they traveled, as they lived from place to place, um, demonstrates who you are. God, your laws demonstrate your heart for people who are struggling. Lord, I ask that you would work in us, that you would give us that same heart. God, that you would give us direction, that you would allow us maybe to volunteer, maybe to give, that certainly, God, that you would, that you would nudge us to pray. God, maybe even open our own homes to people who struggle, who are just... Do your work in us, God. Craft us in your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.